and they're having to do this themselves because no one that they've seen so far has been able to give them direction. Right. So I get it, right? You're like, I have not had somebody, nobody's even said that my baby has a tongue tie. Oh my goodness. It's so obvious. It's to the tip of his tongue. Why didn't anyone tell me? Right. They're, they're rightfully angry and, and they're exhausted and they feel like, well, I've already seen three people and no one's told me, so I, I can't trust anybody now. Right. right. So then they go and get it done, but no one, like you're saying, no one, one, prepared them for the things they'd need to do before that procedure, let alone afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, to the other point of that is, well, no one's teased out what problems are being caused by the ties. You're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. This episode may sound a bit different at the beginning. Tables are turned and Jacqueline Kinzer, IBCLC, interviews me, Lisa Palladino, IBCLC. We recorded this to be aired on her Breastfeeding Talk podcast, and she shared it with me to share it with all of you. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Lisa. I'm super excited uh, for us to do this joint episode together today. Your podcast is the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Mine is the Breastfeeding Talk podcast. And we're going to talk about tongue ties and breastfeeding. So I love that we're able to do this together. It's so fun when, you know, I can do something with another, you know, podcast host and, yeah, we've, you know, been colleagues for a while. You've been doing this far longer than me. So yeah, it's going to be an awesome conversation that I'm excited to have today. Yes, I'm thrilled as well. And I, you know, it's unusual. There are lots of IBCLCs and there's lots of podcasters, but there aren't too many IBCLCs who are also podcasters. So when I saw, you know, I have this thing. I like live in my own bubble. And I'm like, wait a minute, who else has a podcast? I'm like, wait, I know Jackie. We go back, right? We used to go to conferences together and stuff. And um, I said, let me reach out. So I think this is a great idea because as IBCLCs, I'm sure you have this experience. We always have conversations about breastfeeding, about what we're doing, about tongue tie, about other things. And I think this is like a peek inside like a little behind the scenes, like what do two IBCLCs talk about when they get together? <laughs> that is true. Yes. Between my my long Instagram DMs, WhatsApp voice messages and Slack messages with all the colleagues that I regularly communicate with, I think this episode is going to be a lot of those conversations. So yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think that when we, when we spoke before, 
you know, setting this up, we had a great conversation. And, and some of the things we were talking about were our frustrations with how tongue tie is handled and, and meaning in a way of like, when I say handled, I mean, in, in the online space, in the, um, quick fix version of things. And I I think that that's something that we can explore today. And of course, what I, you know, my new soapbox is remembering that this isn't just about the baby. You know, we have to always remember the mom, you know, and, you know, parents, I say mom, because that's the, that's my background. And when I say mom, I'm not meaning to offend anyone, but I think more people understand when I say mom, it's it's the person physically that's going to breastfeed that baby. We don't always think about what that experience is in the tongue tie equation. So I'd love to I'd love to hit on that if you're if yeah, you're up for it. Absolutely. That is a real core of the messaging that you know I've really worked to put out there as part of our brand as a whole is just that I think the conversation around breastfeeding in general tends to revolve around the breast milk and the baby and Mm -hmm. usually leaves the mom out of it. Right. And so then there's backlash, understandably so, right. Mm -hmm. Where people are, you know, well, you know, breastfeeding was, was terrible for me and fed is best and, you know, kind of going down that whole rabbit hole. But again, fed is best while that might sound like that's somehow beneficial for the mom, it's really still about the baby, right? Because we're still right. talking about feeding the baby, right? We're not right. talking about who's doing the feeding and how it's happening and all of the things that go into that. And, you know, the same with tongue tie, right? Tongue tie is a, a condition that describes something that happens to the baby. The mom might have a tongue tie, but it's probably not affecting breastfeeding, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it could be, but just in other ways. But, um, yeah, so then, you know, all this focus, all this effort is all around the baby. And, you know, I think that's where you and I have this frustration as IBCLCs is we work with the mother and the baby. There is this dyad and those two are interconnected, even if that mom is exclusively pumping, right? Or she's, you know, supplementing with formula, they are interconnected. She's, you know, gestated this baby, birthed this baby. Now she's making milk for this baby. And there's all this stuff that goes into it. And then, you know, we get to this issue of tongue tie and there's all these providers who have learned more about how to assess it, diagnosing it, treating it, all the things, but there's this imbalance that's still happening where more of it is on the baby. The body workers work on the baby, the dentist, the ENT, the doctor, whoever's doing the procedure to release the ties, they work on the baby. And very often the IBCLC gets neglected in that because who is working with the mom? Who's ensuring that she is able to do the things to make breastfeeding happen? Because the baby isn't the only one here that's doing that. So it's funny because I definitely don't want this conversation to come across as like, we're not pitching ourselves here. We're not saying like, you have to work with Lisa or I or what have you. Really what we're trying to say is that People keep somehow forgetting or neglecting the role of the IBCLC in all of this because they're forgetting the role of the mom. And so, yeah, I'm that's where I'm coming from. And I, I think you feel similarly, like we chatted about before this episode. Yeah, I, I totally um, 
understand, you know, your point of view and agree with it. Um, and again, it's everyone has their role. You know, I'm everything I am about is team approach. But sometimes the team forgets the IBCLC. And there's, again, I don't want to see every patient. Believe me, I'm, I don't want to be that busy. <laughs> I'm a grandma. <laughs> I work part time now. I don't want to be that busy. But when there is not a functional assessment, we don't know for sure that the frenum is tied. That's number one. Number two, even if the frenum is tied, we don't know if that's what's causing the breastfeeding difficulty or the bottle feeding difficulty or whatever is going on for that child. So for an infant, we are frontline for the function, whether it's breast or bottle feeding. And I, I think that that gets lost somewhere. I, I don't think that people understand that we are, as IBCLCs, trained and have the most education in infant feeding no matter what the type of feeding is, right? So we are experts, we are the experts in feeding. And yes, we do need the other professionals. And I have an, I have a speech language pathologist who's a, an excellent feeding therapist that I network with all the time, but she's calling me on the, on the, you know, or referring to me or we're discussing cases because she recognizes that she's not the, she doesn't really know about mom except for what she knows from her own breastfeeding experience. She doesn't know what the milk supply should be. She doesn't know, um, you know, volumes that we should expect what, what the baby, how the mom can hold the baby, like all the things that we are trained to do that show the interaction between the mom and the baby may not be there for the other professionals. Now I'm not, again, not dissing anybody else because some other professionals have had additional training, which makes it okay for them to be able to do this. But for the most part, we should be included because we're failing babies if we don't assess the mother completely. When I began to work in this field, I quickly realized that school didn't teach me enough about tongue tie. I wanted the opportunity to learn firsthand from an experienced professional. I had so many questions. Can you relate? Good news. I've created the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant just for you. You'll get four recorded video modules, downloads to share with your patients, admission to a thriving multidisciplinary community for networking, sharing, and continued learning, and four LSERPs. All the details are on the website at tongtieexperts.net slash pro course. Use code podcast15 to save 15% off this and all of my courses. Can't wait to see you in the group. Yeah, totally. I agree. I I agree. And I I think it's really that somebody has to assess breastfeeding and we can't do that in a vacuum. And so a pediatrician is trained to work with babies. They have obviously gone to medical school and they're a physician and they've chosen a specialty. So do they know some things about adult women? Yes. 
but that's not their area of, of expertise, of, of specialty, of practice, right? So I always try to remind moms of this where, you know, the, the pediatrician, you know, it could be anything, right? It could be, oh, well, your baby is, you know, spitting up a lot. You should probably cut out dairy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. You're not qualified to make that statement. What are, right. how do you know that what the mom is eating is then going into her breast milk is then causing a problem in the baby? Even if we're looking at the baby themselves, there's a lot of other reasons why they could be spitting up, right? So mm-hmm. like what we're saying is, you know, but at the same time, we could see a breastfeeding problem and we're like, whoa, hey, that's something you need to go back to the pediatrician about because, I don't treat rashes, right? Or your baby's mm-hmm. head is cocked to one side and will not turn the other way. So you need to go see, you know, this physical therapist or what mm-hmm. have you, right? We're always ready to refer. In fact, that's like really built into our certification where we're just mm-hmm. asking the same in return. But on the flip side, I think the the reason why there is this issue of, of lactation consultants not you know, being a part of the picture in so many areas is because there are so many lactation consultants that really aren't qualified to do what we're talking about. They've Mm -hmm. gotten their certification, but that varies quite a bit in terms of their Mm -hmm. training, their, their knowledge, their skill set. If they've only ever worked in the hospital, working with, you know, older infants that are not, you know, in the first few days of life or preemies or what have you, they don't have that skill set. They don't have that knowledge. So, you know, and maybe they don't know really how to assess for ties. There's still a large subset of our profession that doesn't know those things. So we're simultaneously advocating for including the IBCLC in this, but also really making sure that you're working with somebody who is skilled with ties in particular, because not every lactation consultant is just like Not every, you know, some plumbers are great with toilets. Others are great with showers, right? Like that's a great analogy. Yeah. You know what I like to think of? I like to think of it this way because once upon a time, I know I was that IBCLC who didn't understand post hospitalization because I started my career in the hospital. So I like to think of it as a continuum of learning. And some of us have gone further on our continuum. And that doesn't mean that person isn't a smart person or a good practitioner. They're just not where, they're just not as far, don't know as much as some of us do because, my goodness, how many conferences have we been to? How many, you know, uh, continuing eds? I mean, I teach professionals now what I've learned so that we spread this this knowledge and this um, skill in assessing a complete assessment and treatment plan for tongue tie, because it's not just about clipping the frenum, but I used to think it was right. And, and I'm I'm guessing that there was a point in your life where you thought that's what it was too, because that's what, that's just a continuum of learning. Um, I just want to go back to what you said about the pediatrician and I'm, I'm never, I never, you know, again, it always sounds like we're putting down other providers. I definitely am not the no, pediatrician we're not doing that. <laughs> the most important person on our team. But I think it's important, not only pediatricians, but obstetricians. And as a midwife, I can say this, some midwives, um, when they say they support breastfeeding, parents think that they're the people to go to for their breastfeeding help. And there's quite a large difference between supporting breastfeeding and knowing how to manage breastfeeding problems. 
So I think that that's an important point that we have to get out into the world that, yes, your hospital's baby friendly and they support breastfeeding and they want you to breastfeed. And everybody understands, most people understand that that is the best thing. It's the way babies are supposed to be fed. However, not too many people understand how to manage breastfeeding, especially the first few days, the first couple of weeks to get you off on that good start, you know? So um, I think that's important because I know, because I grew up in the mainstream medicine system, I learned so little about breastfeeding as an RN, even as a midwife. And I even had to get a question wrong about lactation on my midwifery boards because I knew what they wanted me to answer, but I knew it wasn't true anymore. So, yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I know this is what they want because I had done a practice question, but I don't like this question because it wasn't a good question. It was about nipple healing or something. It was like, it, it, was irrelevant and whatever. But my point is that we don't learn, we don't learn in main, mainstream medical systems how to how to manage breastfeeding and manage breastfeeding hiccups, right? We do learn about the nutrients and about the why it's better. And 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 I will I will even go as far as when you were talking about that silly fed is best. Um that's not just really about the baby because there are so many benefits to mom with breastfeeding, right? I mean, it decreases breast cancer rates. It decreases cardiovascular events. We're meant to breastfeed. Our bodies are meant to make milk for our babies. Now, I always feel bad when I say that I don't want anybody to ever think, you know, that I'm preaching. I did this all wrong. That's why I do what I do. I did not know what I was doing when I had my own kids. So I speak from a point of not understanding, even though I was an RN working first in the postpartum floor, then in labor and delivery, and I had no clue about any of this. And I did not, I, it took me until I had my third baby and I had a home birth to get breastfeeding right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I think that's really true for a lot of us. Now, I mm-hmm. didn't come from healthcare at all when I had my first baby, but I knew that something wasn't right. And this wasn't what I had expected. And I certainly wasn't prepared for breastfeeding, even though I took a prenatal breastfeeding class, right? It was more about, you know, kind of the idealistic scenario of if everything goes according to plan and you never have any medications during Mm -hmm. your labor and your baby just latches perfectly. Like there was this huge assumption that the class operated from and then went into those benefits, health benefits for mom and baby, which weren't practical when it came down to managing breastfeeding problems. Like you're saying, I saw a pediatrician who was an IBCLC who told me to stop obsessing about different positions and latch techniques because my baby's doing fine, but my nipples weren't. They were bruised right. and cracked right. and scabbed for several weeks. So but all that mattered was the baby was gaining, right? <laughs> well, clearly that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that he's screaming his head off. He never sleeps. Oh, what a shame. Um, I'm engorged and like just all the things, right? Yeah. So yeah. he had a tongue tie, if you couldn't tell, but um, <laughs> yeah. and a lip tie. But uh, yeah, it just, that kind of, you know, many of us have come into the the into the profession because we struggled and we 
didn't have the resources and support that we needed. And, you know, many of us looked for it as well and we still didn't get it. And we're like, there's a gap here and we care and we don't want other moms to have to go through this. We don't want other babies to have to suffer. Like, what can we do to help? So, you know, I think we, we kind of arrive at this place out of, you know, personal experience. A lot of the time I it's rare that I meet an IBCLC who has not come from that place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, so many IBCLCs have worked themselves up from, um, peer counselors, CLCs, you know, being La Leche League, like really being in the trenches, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a frustrating thing when you are brand new postpartum and you feel like you know everything because you're have a, you're smart. You think you took all the right classes and you in touch with all the right people. And then the baby comes and things are challenging. So because of that, when I speak to a client prenatally, I say, listen, this is going to sound really negative, but we're going to go through all the possible things that can get in the way of you successful breastfeeding so that you know what to do when they happen. And I list all the things because I used to work in the hospital. I know all the things, you know, baby won't latch at birth or there's a separation or um, baby needs supplement for whatever reason they're claiming. And I talk about what else, you know, hand expression and and spoon feeding and all, you know, how soon to start pumping, what happens if your baby goes to NICU. I really think that we have to start having conversations because so many parents will be separated from their babies. You know, it's unfortunately, it's true. We want to have this beautiful Instagram picture of lovely birth and everything goes perfect and everybody's smiling after with their makeup done, you know, and then the the baby has their matching, you know, snuggly on and, and all those things. But most of the time, that's not the case. And I think that we have to start being a little bit more realistic in our um, approach to helping families to really be ready for what's going to, what could be and what, what can be and what to do to overcome it. And if I could change anything in, in the world of lactation, it would be that everybody would have to see an IBCLC before the birth. You know, if we could do that, imagine the success we'd have. I know it should absolutely be a part of prenatal care. And I would extend that to you have regular pediatrician well checks and there's a schedule and there should be a, a feeding well check. Yes. Breast formula bottle. I don't care. There should be a feeding check because pediatricians might know volumes and weight gain, but they're not knowledgeable in the actual skills of feeding most Mm -hmm. of the time. So yeah, I would, I would argue we need both. And, and I think, you know, to your point about this prenatal education and preparing moms for the worst, you know, it, it has to happen then because the worst time to try and teach a mom who's, you know, any of this stuff is right after she's had her baby, Mm -hmm. things didn't go according to plan. Now you want to teach her, right? Not a good time. First of all, she's gonna have a hard time remembering. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you had a great birth. It's like, just, you know, it can be a really difficult time to try and retain information. And, and there's a lot that changes in those first few days as well. So Mm -hmm. there's that, but, you know, I think too, that, you know, there seems to be this 
you know, when, when the advocacy for breastfeeding picked up and the phrase breast is best, which just, you know, is not great. Right. I get it. It was, it came from a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed like no one wanted to say the potential negatives because they don't want to deter people from breastfeeding. But mm-hmm. then you and I have seen people on the other side of it. They've had the baby, they're having breastfeeding difficulty and they're like, Whoa, no one told me. And two things happen. Uh, one, well, three things can happen. One is they can go, holy cow, I had no idea it was going to be this difficult. Who can help me? And they find us. That's rare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then there's, okay, well, something's wrong, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to DIY the heck out of it. Most mm-hmm. common. Second most common, or maybe first, I don't know. The the jury's still out on that, is I had no idea this is what breastfeeding was going to be like. This is not for me. And right. so when we don't tell women, they can't make an informed decision. If Mm -hmm. you tell somebody who's pregnant, who says, I want to breastfeed and you give them the proper prenatal breastfeeding education. And after that, they go, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to breastfeed and never Mm -hmm. mind. I changed my mind. Mm -hmm. It's better for them to know that now and to come to terms with that and create a plan now than to be on the other side of it and experience the shame and guilt that comes with you know, those problems and whatever. Now, maybe magically it was going to work out for them and whatever, but I mean, at least they get to make an informed choice. So that's That's my thought. Yeah, that I, I agree. That's great. And also going on that, like some of the things that I see from people who got the message that they should breastfeed, but really don't want to try to do things to like rig the system that backfire, like, pumping a lot the first couple of weeks so that they can put their milk away and then just stop breastfeeding, stop pumping, but they have the milk and now I have milk for three months. So I don't, you know, and then it's like, those are the people that are coming with clogged ducts, mastitis, you know, don't know what to do. Um, making 60, 70, 80 ounces of milk a day because they're over pumping and they missed the beautiful moments of the first couple of weeks of their baby because they were so busy trying to build milk for the future. So that's just one example of what can go wrong. Or if you're someone, and I'm not, no value judgment on it at all, but if you're someone that does not want to attend to your baby 24 hours a day, then breastfeeding really is not the right choice for you because this is a 24 hour operation and you can't decide, well, you know what, I'm going to breastfeed in the morning and twice in the afternoon and then sleep all night because then your breasts get, as I say, they get confused. That sounds a little weird, but I'm sure you've seen it as well, right? Those engorgement or Or dropping supply or all the things that go wrong with that because people are thinking that they can, they're not understanding how milk supply works and they're not understanding how breastfeeding works. So they're trying to play the system for their benefit. And if they would talk to someone like us, we could explain to them how they could do that but they're doing it on their own, but they usually only reach out when it crashes, right? (laughs) Yes. And typically they're looking for a way out of breastfeeding at that point too, right? Whereas I think someone like that, they can still breastfeed, but it's not going to be exclusively. And it sounds like they're fine with that, but then let's, like you're saying, prepare them for that, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. 
how many times a day or what hours of the day are you willing to commit to, you know, pumping and you're okay with having to use this much formula. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Well, let's come up with a strategy around that Mm -hmm. Um, and letting them know like, Hey, you can, you can change your mind as well along the way. Right. right? right. Cause then it just seems like it's this all or nothing endeavor, right? right? I either have to pump in the right amount of milk. Right. Helping them select the right formula and, you know, How many babies do you see that are having a milk intolerance and they're supplementing with cow's milk formula? The mom mom is taking everything out of her diet, but they're supplementing with cow's milk formula. And my just head wants to explode. I'm like, what are you you, you thinking? Like, who told you to do this? I'm like, you know, my doctor said that my milk isn't good for the baby, so I should just give formula. And I'm like, don't you know that formula is made with cow's milk? Like, Sadly, that still happens. It's nuts yeah. to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or my favorite is when the pediatrician's like, let's, you know, do 24, 48 hours of formula, you know, right. you know and pump, yeah. but let's not give the baby any breast milk. And right. I'm going, well, I mean, if we were going to pick one thing, formula for sure doesn't have gluten. So I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure why we're thinking it's dairy if you're saying to give the baby nothing but cow's milk for 24 right. hours. Right, right. Yeah. I know. But I it know. just goes back to not having all the information. And it people does. like us do have at least more of the information. Have you ever wished you could help that mom who is questioning if she has enough milk? Ever wanted to either reassure her or know when to refer? As a lactation consultant, I created the program Understanding Milk Supply for Medical and Birth Professionals to help you to feel more confident in those exact situations. This affordable recorded video mini course is open to anyone who works with pregnant or breastfeeding families. It's a particularly valuable opportunity if you're an SLP or an OT who wants to gain an understanding of how breast milk is made or a dentist in the field who is often the first line provider for tongue tie treatment. The function of the infant at the breast depends on milk supply. Even if care of the mom isn't in your scope, there are basic principles that you can learn that may rescue a family's feeding goals. In understanding milk supply, I teach you what red flags to look for, when to refer, who to refer to, and how to advise the family in the meantime. And there's one LSERP included for lactation professionals. Go to www.tongtieexperts.net slash milk supply. The link is clickable in the show notes. And as always, you can use coupon code podcast15 to save 15% off this and all Tongue Tie Experts courses. Thanks so much. Which, Uh, I mean, parents are getting information, right? Especially when, I mean, you know, breastfeeding in general, but about ties, right? There's these, you know, and have been for a while, these tongue tie support groups and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's social media around it, right? Podcasts, hint, hint, wink, wink. But, um, you know, parents can access information, but then what's still happening is that they go and, you know, think that it's okay, just, I just need to get the tie released. So they're and they're having to do this themselves because no one that they've seen so far has been able to give them direction. Right. So I get it, right? You're like, right. I have not had somebody 
nobody's even said that my baby has a tongue tie. Oh my goodness. It's so obvious. It's to the tip of his tongue. Why didn't anyone tell me? They're they're rightfully angry and and they're exhausted and they feel like, well, I've already seen three people and no one's told me. So I I can't trust anybody now. Right. Right. So then they go and get it done, but no one, like you're saying, no one, one prepared them for the things they'd need to do before that procedure, let alone afterwards. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, to the other point of that is, well, no one's teased out what problems are being caused by the ties. So maybe we could talk about that because like when it comes to assessing breastfeeding, right? Lactation consultants, we're not here to just help with the latch. And I don't know why people think that. It's like, oh my goodness. You know, I actually really believe that moms and babies are smart and maybe you know, they might not get the perfect positioning or latch technique or what have you, but if there were no ties and there were no like other problems hindering that latch and position, they'd get it right. Right. You're smart. You don't want your nipples to hurt. You'd you'd try and do something different to make it not hurt. Right. Right. So by the time somebody gets to us, I'm like, you've done a lot of things and you're Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know, somebody help me. Right. And I'm like, it's usually not your fault because there's something else going on. So when we look at breastfeeding and it's not just about the milk supply and all of that either. Right. We're looking at the mechanics of breastfeeding, the the dynamic between you and your baby, you know, it, that has to do with the latch and the positioning. But then, you know, what's we can look at those things and, and see what's hindering this. OK, maybe now we can try this. Like the assessment is not done as just an assessment. With that then comes intervention where we're saying, well, maybe let's try this and see if that improves things. Okay, that didn't help. Let's try this. Or that helped a little bit, but not enough. So let's add in this. If it's, you know, a latch technique, um, you know, breast compressions, I mean, who knows, right? It could be a bunch right. of different things, right. shield, whatever. We're applying some interventions and we're seeing, and sometimes it takes days, right? Like maybe right. we're like, well, do this for a few days and then we need to see you again. Yeah. Let's see if those things take care of the problem or at least help. Maybe we need to get things to a better state before we go and put your baby through this procedure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things are going to be better afterwards. It's like, you know, yeah. So there's a whole conversation around that, but I just think this idea of picking one thing, right. That, and then that you do this procedure, which I try to explain to people, and I know you do a really good job of this, which is like, okay, there's a frenum. It's tied. Either obviously or not so obviously. You release it. Now what? Your baby has had that since they were in the womb. I mean, this is all said and done, you know, really right right around the second trimester, a little ways into it. That's it. There's nothing, the fact that you had a preemie, none of that comes into account. I don't know about the vitamin thing, but you know, whatever. I've seen people mm-hmm. take vitamins, not take vitamins. Who knows? Mm-hmm. They're still get having tied babies. You release this tie. Your baby's never moved their tongue, their lips, their jaws this way before. And we're just hoping they're magically going to figure it out. Some babies do. Some mm-hmm. babies do for that first latch and not for the next several ones. Mm-hmm. And some babies are so upset, whether it's pain, although that's typically minimal or just like, what the heck did you just do to my mouth? Mm -hmm. And they're not latching. So like, how do we manage all of those things afterwards? And if parents aren't prepared, they don't have support. They don't know what to expect. They don't know how to fix those things. Now we have all this backlash where parents are online and they're saying, getting my baby's tongue tie treated was the worst decision ever. 
right. or ties right. are over-treated or right. it's bad. So yeah, there's a or, lot. Or how about those poor situations where got the tongue tie done, it didn't work. Somebody told them there was reattachment and they went back and they had it again without mm-hmm. even having a functional assessment still. So now we're we're re-injuring, causing more trauma. And when I say trauma, I don't mean under the tongue. I mean trauma to the dyad, trauma to the family. And why would something work? And I think that shouting from the rooftops the statement that if breastfeeding isn't working before the release, the release isn't going to magically make breastfeeding work. First, we have to get breastfeeding working in, for most cases. I mean, there are some exceptions to this, but for most cases, we have to optimize everything. Yep. Then take care of that frenum. And then the baby will go through a bump, but should come back to breastfeeding in a better way with the right guidance. So it's frustrating. It's sad. I know some people just want a quick fix. And for some kids, it is. But more and more, I'm seeing complex cases where it's not a quick fix. And lots of times, without knowing for sure that that was the problem, things can get worse. For example, if mom's milk supply is low and she's baby's working hard to get milk and can't do that because of the frenum. If we release the frenum, but mom's milk supply still isn't there, it's not going to magically increase. We have to work with her, different strategies, pumping, whatever we need to do to figure out how to get that milk supply up, right? Before the frenum is released, if possible, because we want that baby to come and have an easy experience at the breast so that they want to breastfeed, right? So they're happy with breastfeeding. So we're talking about a lot of... um I don't know, negative things about it. I just think these are, these things are important to discuss for cautions and realizing that if we want to be taken seriously as a profession, as a field of tongue tie, quote unquote, we have to make sure that it's being done for the right reason. It's being done on the right babies and that everyone is ready for the procedure, including the family. And, and, I have a a push lately to make sure that parents are ready. You know, there's increased birth trauma. There's increasing postpartum depression. Our C-section rates, unfortunately, are skyrocketing still. Um, And the complications, especially with, you know, people of color, the complications around birth are increasing. And mothers are older and sicker after birth. And, and now we're telling them your baby has a problem that needs surgery. That's like pouring trauma over trauma. You know, let's heal the mom a little bit. Let's figure out what to do and who's best to figure out what to do in the meantime than we are really right. Like we are, that's what we do. That's what we do is IBCLCs. That's that's what we do. Yeah. We're looking at the whole picture We're Mm -hmm. you know, most of our visits tend to have another family member involved. Mm-hmm. If it's the partner, you know, a grandmother, an aunt, a sister. Oh, right. It's the best. It's yeah. the best. Yeah. I like how too, they're not as rigid as a lot of people think in my experience. They're like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, well, yeah. I didn't know that when I had babies, you yeah, know, and yeah, they're yeah. like kind of yeah. amazed, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, baby carrier. That's cool. You know, we once did a study at my hospital that um, mothers, the the mothers who wanted to breastfeed, we asked them if their mothers breastfed. So were they breastfed? Mm -hmm. If their mothers breastfed them, they were 80% more likely to leave the hospital without using formula. Yeah. How cool is that? Right. And the inverse was was true. If you don't have a mother who breastfed, you're less likely to to exclusively breastfeed. So grandmas are important. Yeah, grandmas I love that. It's yeah, it's mm-hmm. good to have numbers for that, right? Yep. Yeah, I just saw. Cool. Yeah, I just saw um, a, a study um, that I hadn't seen before about the recent formula shortage and the impact that that had on people's initiation of breastfeeding and, you know, them, you know, moving forward with it. Mm -hmm. And it isn't what you might think where people would say, oh no, there's this massive formula shortage. Why better breastfeed? That actually didn't influence their decision to breastfeed. What influenced it was um, if, if they had breastfed their previous child or not. So this was looking at parents of, you know, multiple babies, but I imagine because they, I don't think they asked the question in the study, but I imagine also if they're, if they were breastfed themselves could have played a role as well. So it was more important, you know, whether or not they had previously had a successful breastfeeding experience than it was the fact that there's a shortage. Cause people are like, well, I'll find it somewhere. I'll go to however many stores or, you know, they just kind of, you know, if they were going to do it, they were going to do it, I guess. I always ask, um, if there's anyone around them who is breastfeeding or has breastfed, you know, because I think that's really important. Um, I'm, I'm coming from a place where I was the first person in my family to breastfeed. Nope. My mom did not breastfeed. My grandmother kind of breastfed one of my aunts, but nobody in my family breastfed. My cousins didn't breastfeed and it was really hard. And I think that that's part of the reason why I wasn't successful for my first two, because I didn't have any kind of support. My pediatrician told me I was stupid for breastfeeding, that I was starving my baby and putting myself in jail. And when I look back on my daughter's records, she had lost 3% of her birth weight. Imagine my nipple was falling off, but she was gaining. You know, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have pushed through, you know. So um, lack of support is a big deal. So, you know, finding your people, finding the, the, the people, you know, that think like you, that have the same goals as you is really, really helpful. It you know, really my, is. You're my own daughter. You know, she of course, she's my daughter. Right. But of course, she was going to breastfeed, but only because that was totally her decision. But she is she struggles because none of her friends breastfeed their babies, you know, and it's a whole different model of parenting that she's chosen compared to her friends. And it makes it a little uncomfortable for her, for them not to understand what she's doing and why, you know, so it's really important to find your tribe. I, I, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I know that if she didn't grow up in my household, seeing all the work I do, watching me nurse her baby sister, because she there's there's eight years difference between them. So she she grew up in that environment. And I think that's why it was a no brainer for her, like to her, even her home birth that she planned. I had my last at home. So 
she said, why would I go to a hospital? I've only seen home birth, you know, in our family. So yeah, it was, it was like just the natural progression. So who you surround yourself with is important. And that's something that fell off during the pandemic, you know, not having those in-person support groups, I think was a detriment to birthing in general, to breastfeeding, to early parenting, you know, um, along with everything else. But, you know, we, we took a hit there as, as parents not being able to be in person with other pregnant people, with other pregnant, you know, newborns and their families. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's so much that we can learn through osmosis of just being in the presence of someone else who is doing the things. Um, I know for me, and, and I think, you know, we can facilitate those things virtually too. You just have to be careful, right? You can't, well, you can, but I mean, you can join a mom's group, but there's a lot of jokes about mom's groups, right? We, we know what to expect right. there. It's a hot mess of, right. you know, I can't believe you would do that to your child. Like just, you know, let's not right, go right. there. It's judgment, a lot of judgment. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But, and I think the same can be true for breastfeeding groups as well. Yeah. I see very many of them mm-hmm. that are, you know, well, you know, why, you know, maybe you should think about staying home with your baby, like that kind of mentality too. Right. So, right. you know, either way you have to find that peer group that, you know, is going to align with your values, right. Your goals, mm-hmm. um, and see other people that are doing it. I mean, I know for me, I remember when I, my first outing, by myself with my son. I think he was like five weeks old, maybe six weeks. I went to a La Leche League meeting and I was so nervous because it was at somebody's house and I had never been there. And hopefully I have the right place. And, you know, I had to pull the car over three times because he was crying in the car on the way there. And just, I mean, all the things. And I get there and, you know, these, these women, I guess they had been there before and they knew each other and there's leaders. And I didn't know the whole structure of how it worked. Um, but I remember this leader, Christy, if, if she listens to the podcast, she'll know I'm talking about her I've told <laughs> her the story many times. And she was breastfeeding her three-year-old son, Aaron. And I just remember, I didn't know anybody who was breastfeeding. None of my friends had babies at this time. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at that and thinking, I didn't know you could do that. That's mm-hmm. cool. Like mm-hmm. no judgment. Mm-hmm. I had zero because I just was like, I didn't know that was possible. Right. Right. That it was possible. Not in that moment. Did it mean much more to me than that? Mm-hmm. But as my son got older and, you know, I continued to go to meetings, I eventually became a little leader, but mm-hmm. you know, that inspired me. I thought if you can get to three years with your kid, I, I can get to three months, right? Like mm-hmm. it just, that visual, just seeing that in action yeah. And also I remember that she was wearing regular clothing, which might sound <laughs> silly, but I had this idea because it was my first time out of the house. Right. So right. I, I had like nursing tanks at home and whatever, and I'm at home. I had this idea that I was like, oh, I need like nursing clothing. How do I nurse right, in public right. with, right. you know, I remember thinking that shirt. too. Like now yeah. I was done with maternity clothes. I had to go get nursing clothes. And my mother even bought me a nursing nightgown. 
was oh, like a yes. nursing nightgown. Like, it was the silliest thing. And I'm like, mom, I don't usually wear nightgowns. Why would I wear a nursing nightgown? Just give me a t-shirt. Isn't but, that funny, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, no shame. Like if you want that stuff and yeah. there's more options these days, by all means, go get it. But, you know, it's just what, what happened is that I got to see how accessible breastfeeding was because I saw other people doing it and they were a little bit ahead of me. They had a bit more experience or sometimes a lot more. And that was what I needed to see. And I think that's truly what really, you know, any mom who's breastfeeding needs to see. Yeah, I agree. And I hope you're not hearing the lawnmowers outside. I have no control. I can't believe this is happening now, but there's lawnmowers right now. Oh gosh. No, Um, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. And That's why I think that public breastfeeding is so important, you know, because I never saw anyone other than the patients that I was trying to help in the hospital, not knowing anything about breastfeeding. That was the biggest joke. I was hired, you know, my role as postpartum nurse at the time was to help other women breastfeed. And I had no idea how to do it. (laughs) But other than that, it still happens by the way, folks. So if you're wondering why you didn't get good lactation (laughs) support in the hospital, this is why. looks good. No, (laughs) anyway. Um, No, I actually was blessed to work with a nurse who was, she knew everything about breastfeeding and she had nursed all her kids. She had tandem nursed with her, helped her sister nurse her kids. She was like really into it. And she taught me the basic, she like put the fire under me to learn about breastfeeding because I didn't know anybody who breastfed until I met Tony. She was wonderful. Anyway, so That's cool. I had never seen anybody breastfeed. We just, yeah. we, if you breastfed, you did it hidden somewhere, you know? So I think that public breastfeeding is really, really important. If I see somebody in public breastfeeding, like I'm in, in New York, which is kind of progressive, but it's a like the section that I'm living in isn't as progressive, if that makes any sense. So yes. you don't, there's less breastfeeding going on here than in some places. So you would think it would be like, oh yeah, everybody's free in New York. Not so. And um, if I do see somebody nursing their baby, I either give them a smile or a thumbs up or I'll, you know, if they look like they need help with their other kid, I'll go over and say, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you for doing this in public because, and most people don't think I'm a weirdo when I do that. So just to say that, because it could be, I get so smiling at the woman, you know, because I get so excited. And if I have one of my daughters with me, they're like, mom, <laughs> leave her alone. I'm like, no, I'm just so excited that she's breastfeeding in public because the more of our kids, more of our daughters that see that, the easier it's going to be for them. Yes, Absolutely. I I agree. I've been to very progressive parts of the United States, you know, uh, pockets of California, Oregon, uh, Seattle area, Washington, and I've never seen so much public breastfeeding as I have in Vancouver, Canada. Spent, I mean, we went, you know, for for a month, um, kind of each time when my son was a baby, again, when he was one, and then we went back again this summer for six weeks. And once again, all those same places. Cause we've, we've driven, you know, that, that route. Right. And I, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in Vancouver. It is so not a big deal. Like I'm, um, we went to this like 
river and everyone's in the water because it's hot and Mm -hmm. they're all just hanging out. And, you know, this mom's like nursing her toddler, like not just nursing babies in public, but nursing toddlers in public. And nobody is batting an eye. Nobody is looking at this mom. No one would ever say anything to her. And of course I did because I'm like you, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I just have to say. But when I was there, when my son was little and I would breastfeed him in public, very commonly, you know, another mom would have a baby and you could be on a park bench and she'd just sit down right next to you and just start nursing. I've Mm -hmm. never had that happen in the U.S. And I've breastfed in public everywhere. So culturally, I think we still have a long way to go. And for anyone who's out there nursing in public, I've seen plenty of nursing covers where I live. Yes, And to me, there is nothing that draws more attention to breastfeeding than that nursing cover, which some babies do better with it. I do acknowledge that, but it's like now it, it creates this, I don't know how to put it right. It just kind of, it kind of just sends this message of I'm breastfeeding in public, but I'm kind of just doing it because it's a necessity, not because like they'd rather not be, do you know what I mean? Or it's something to hide. Yeah. You know, yes, I'm going to feed my baby, but nobody's going to see me feed my baby, which, you know what? Whatever makes a woman comfortable. But yeah. the other thing I think about the nursing covers is, you know, we're such a capitalist culture. We want to have to buy things. Right. And I say this to my patients in my office all the time. I say we, we could breastfeed without anything if we didn't have a pump. If we didn't have a pillow, if we didn't have you know, covers and shirts and bras and this and that, you know, I've had people apologize to me if they come in without a nursing bra. And I'm like, doesn't matter. You're going to take it off anyway. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> so, like, we don't need this stuff. And I feel that we want to be able to buy things, right? Somebody's pregnant with it, everybody wants to buy them things. And I think that our, culture our um i don't know what the word is you know the the people who manufacture when more people were breastfeeding than bottle feeding they had to figure out what to sell to us right because there's yes. a lot of stuff that that you can have to buy when you're bottle feeding so now we have specialized bottles for breastfeeding babies which we could have a whole whole episode on that episode. and special pacifiers yeah. for breastfeeding babies and special covers and special whatever. There's so many things. Um, There's all the things, all the things. And, but we don't need any of them. We really do all we, you know, that's, it should be as simple as possible, especially if everything's going right, you know, Um, it should be. No, there's a lot of unnecessary purchasing of things. Like you're saying, there are tools available that can be very, very helpful depending Mm -hmm. on your situation. And I'm all for it. And I like that there's more choice. I like that there's more investment in making these things better. But the problem, like you're saying, is we love to spend money. And it's Mm -hmm. no different when it comes to the tongue-tied treatment either. Like, I always think, you know, how many clients have you seen or heard about through colleagues, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got this mom, you know, Mm -hmm. she's seen you, the IBCLC, or sometimes not you, but she's 
you know, gone and done the phrenectomy. She's paid 600 bucks for that, a thousand bucks for that, right? She's going to the body worker two to three times a week. She's been going for six weeks, uh, maybe more than one. She's got the, you know, chiropractor and the speech language pathologist. Now she's added in the OT and you're like, what the heck is going on here? I promise your baby's not that complicated. Like it's rare. And this is happening a lot where Mm -hmm. parents are spending money, things that are very often not covered by medical insurance plans and out of pocket. And then they, they go, well, I don't have money to see the IBCLC. Well, yeah, of course you don't because you've gone and spent, and I'm not saying that those other, you know, treatments aren't helpful, but like how much is too much? And that's what we're really good at navigating as IBCLCs. You and I, I think have a similar philosophy, which is like more is or less is more, right? Like we don't need all the things. Like I've had those clients come in that they're like, I have this pump and this pump and this pump. Do you think I should get this pump? And I'm like, no, yeah. I think you should like, you can't return it now, but I mean, you don't need three. Like, right, right, right. Some yeah, moms, I, some moms think, do, don't get me yeah. wrong. But like, but I think what you said about us, uh, we should be the one who tells them what they need. So yeah. if, if you're an IBCLC and you're listening to this and you don't know how to tell what else a baby needs, then you need more education because- yeah. experience and and education. I mean, I can now look at a baby, examine the feeding, see what's going on and know, should this baby go to a chiropractor or an OT or, you know, the PT or it's just massage that this kid needs. Sometimes it's just mom needs to downregulate her system. And sometimes it's the mom that needs the craniosacral, you know? So it it's a, it's an interplay of all that. And being able to say, if you can only do one thing, this is the one thing you should do and try and do it before you go see the dentist. Yes. You know, and let's work on this, this, and this. And I'm very, I love giving choices and I'll set up a plan that's, would you feel more comfortable trying this or that? And then we work through it, you know, depending, because if they're making their own choices on their plan of care, they're more likely to stick with it. And I'll say, and if this doesn't work, call me back tomorrow and we'll see what we can do from there. And and that's how we proceed. But I really think I agree less is more because how much can we do? How much can we do? You know? No, I, I, the simplifying things is so important. And, and like what you said about giving choices and, you know, that's what I think also really irks me is I see this on social media a lot where people will say, well, I saw the lactation consultant and they told me to do this, but I'm like, well, why are you still doing that? Like th- three weeks later, oh, why please. are you, why are you on triple feeding? Let's yes. about triple feeding. <laughs> and I'm like, if they didn't give you like an end date to this, right. like there has right. to be, I'm not saying we have a crystal ball, but they should at least know this is worth trying for X amount of days or one week or whatever. And let's see where we're at and re-examine at that time. You should not be left hanging. It is not one, one appointment and you're done. Right. A lot of these situations. And then, you know, moms, like I've had those clients, you know, they come in and, you know, they're trying to work on their milk supply. And I'm like, so what have you tried so far? Well, I went to Target and I bought anything that said lactation on it. I just threw it in the cart and I'm like, (laughs) cool. But those like cheese it. Yeah that, you know, are for lactation, aren't really going to do anything for your milk supply. Neither right, are the cookies. Right, right. Which is why I created my own supplements. But I'm just right, like, right. you know, you're- But you're I'm sure you agree. You can take as many of your supplements even if you're not removing milk Absolutely. regularly. 
Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. Not, yeah. Like that. And no that's what go. drives me nuts is people yeah. that they don't read the full description and they go, mm-hmm. okay, well, this one thing better save my milk supply. And it didn't because mm-hmm. they're still not doing the other things. Or maybe they have a medical condition that's just going to, this is mm-hmm. the max you're ever going to get. Who knows? Right. Right. I don't know your situation because right. I'm not you're not my patient. Right. And then they're angry that it didn't work. And I'm like, but I never told you it was a sure thing. Right. That's on you. You have or, to look or, at this and go, yeah. The other, the other thing about the anger and the disappointment, um, I don't think it's women's fault that they are because look oh, no. at how, in how many places they've been let down, you know, all the, all the ideal things that we're saying, you know, that should be in place aren't in place. And, you know, you have a baby, you get this view that it's going to be beautiful afterwards and you're not going to, you need to do everything to prepare for the baby, but not for breastfeeding. And then you have the baby and it hurts or it's not going well. And then you're into all this and then you're trying to figure out what's going on and you're not feeling good and you're anemic and you're just bleeding and you can't sit and all the things that happen, you know, you can't even have a decent bowel movement in peace, you know, like, so (laughs) all the things, right. Yeah. Not sleeping. Everybody wants to visit you and you know, you can barely take care of yourself and all the things that happen. And, you know, I hope, I hope we're not scaring away anybody from having babies, (laughs) but um, it's, it's real. It's real. It's real. It is. And we have to, you know, so if anybody tried to breastfeed under these conditions and it didn't work out, it's not your fault. No, it's not your fault. I mean, I'm angry still about the lack of support that I got, but I've turned my anger into what can I do to correct that for, you know, going forward for others. But I still like, if I could go back and talk to myself, especially for my daughter, when I had such bad advice from my pediatrician, because she grew up with food intolerances and all kinds of things that would have been better if she had continued breastfeeding. You know, I know that for sure. Um, But you you can only do what you can, you know, you know, better, you do better. I'm always quoting that quote from Maya Angelou, you know, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, you do better, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, try to tell moms all the time, like the fact that you are still breastfeeding in spite of everything being set up against you mm-hmm. is incredible. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like the fact that people are breastfeeding their kids past the age of one, that's incredible. Cause you yeah. are fighting for that. You are yep. not supported every step of the way. Mm-hmm. I, you really aren't. There's somebody somewhere in society that is not supporting you and doing that. And mm-hmm. it's a really big deal, like that as many people are breastfeeding as they are. Yep. I really think so. I really think there is a ton to celebrate. And it speaks to the resilience mm-hmm. of us. It speaks to the real drive that I think that uh, most women have to breastfeed their babies. And mm-hmm. I think it really speaks to their commitment to their children, to themselves, right? And it it's a huge, huge thing. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just would say, I think it's like really amazing that we have as many people breastfeeding as there are. 
It's especially, yeah, especially it's through the bumps that we see women go through. Because I mean, let's be honest: people who are having an easy time, we don't meet them, right? We only meet the people that are having a hard time. So, you know, I often say to to people, I wish there was like, you know, how we have Academy Awards and we have sports <laughs> awards and all this. We should have awards for women who successfully breastfeed. My goodness, I there are I want to pin medals on. So many of the women that sit in my office and and have gotten through to yeah. a place that I mean, doing the best that they can for their baby. Through we all- literally have awards in our community. You do breastfeeding you do. moms? Yeah, That's you get great. like a special badge on your profile. Um, That's great. Yeah, I like, love that. Yeah, and we have like little graphics that we make for right. them. Like right, we right, had somebody right. who just got to eighteen months, uh-huh. and she made a really beautiful post, and she was like. When I was in the start of this, she's like, I never imagined I'd be breastfeeding at 18 months. Like that is so cool because sometimes we don't take a minute to kind of stop and look back and see how far we've come. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you should be getting medals, moms. That's what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, like, you know better, you do better, but you don't know what you don't know. Like it's a crazy expectation that is put on moms by nobody in particular that you know, that they'll just be able to breastfeed this baby when it comes out of their vagina or their stomach. Like it's nuts. It's crazy to me. Like uh, that's what I thought when I had my son and then he was there and they put him on my chest and it's all happening so fast. And they're like, let's try and get him to latch. And I'm like, well, okay. Like how do I do that? And what is breastfeeding supposed to feel like? And how am I going to know if I'm doing it right? And then when he was latched on, I'm going, is he getting milk? How am I supposed to know? How do I'm I just know? supposed to trust the process. Like right. it was this how often do I have to thing. do this? How do I know he's yeah. getting enough? All the questions that right? Come up, right. Let alone answer. How am I supposed to know about tongue tie? How am I supposed to know about reflux? How am I supposed to know about how often he's supposed to poop? Like all these things that we're just expecting moms to know. And yeah, most of it is gonna fall on the breastfeeding mom because she's so close to that baby so much of the time you have to hold the baby to nurse it so i mean you know or you're getting really intimate with your breasts when you're pumping or going back to (laughs) and again not to diss pediatricians but we put too much on them we expect that the pediatrician we as a culture expect that the pediatrician is going to be the one to give you all these answers. And I've had people come to me right after their two-day checkup, because in New York, you you have to, by law, have to be seen two days post-discharge, mm-hmm. right? They've gone to their two-day post-discharge appointment, come into my office right after that, and, and are like, we thought he was going to tell us more. It was really quick. Like, yeah, of course it's really quick. They pediatricians are not the expert on how to take care of your baby. They're the expert on making sure your baby is well or treating your baby when they're sick or recognizing the difference. But they are not the expert on how many feedings the baby should get, how many ounces they should be getting, those things. They most, I mean, there are exceptions, but most pediatricians only know that from learning what the the formula rep gives them in their office. Oh, the bottles are two or three ounces. So they should get one of those. And then when they hit a certain age, they should get two of those. Makes no sense. Where's the science in that? Right. So it's very true. Uh, and and infants yeah. are already a lot, right? So your pediatrician is also treating a 16 year old who wants to start taking birth control. They're giving 
vaccines. They're right. treating ear infections and they're looking for signs of abuse in the home. Like, I mean, they have a lot going on and they've got and they 10, have 10 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, and you know yeah. what? They're trying to fit in people that are, have called because their kid woke up sick that morning and these right, parents right. are worried, right. Right? right? The first time your kid gets sick, if it hasn't happened yet, it's terrifying. So Dude, like, do you think that most people know how long we spend without patients? Because if, that's if I, I think the shortest visit I've had probably in the last month or so was an hour and a half, you know, wow. I'm, yeah, I, I'm because I schedule out, like I'm not as busy. I tend to just expand, yeah. <laughs> but, but even when I was busy, it was at least an hour. Oh yeah. Yeah. For a, for a full on like breastfeeding appointment, it's mm-hmm. an hour. And I would say yeah. most of the time, you know, our, our team, we're going overtime because it just is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're, there's a way that we have set up for, you know, people to communicate with us. We proactively reach out to you after your appointment mm-hmm. and all of that. So, you know, it's like I said, it's, usually but it's not, not a 10 minute appointment. It's not 10 minutes, it's not a 10 minute appointment. I mean, even a pumping appointment. We tried to do right. like a flange fitting and just a quick, like pump settings thing. We couldn't even do that in 20 minutes. It's it's at least 30 minutes to do that. And that's like, we're not talking about your milk supply or any of that. You're just like, the pump is not working. What do I do? Okay, great. Let's figure it out. But like, and I don't even like really doing those, but I understand it's something that people think they want. And we usually discover in the course of that appointment that you need some more help. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Like that's, I have my, my maternal only consults, I call them, you know, somebody has got a clog or this or that. And it's, you feel like you're working with your hands tied behind your back because you're not seeing the full picture. Like, why is this mom have this? Yes. I can help you with this today, but we really should be talking about why did this happen? Where's the baby? How's the baby feeding? Or where's your pump? How's that going? Kind of thing. And I don't think our name does it justice. Like it's not happened super frequently, but definitely a handful of times over the years where someone's booked an appointment and then they send a message and they're like, so like, should I have the baby at the appointment? Oh, I get that all the time. All the time. (laughs) No, it's not a, I'm not (laughs) consulting with you. Like this is an actual appointment. Like we're going to be treating issues Mm -hmm. if you have. Should I bring the baby? Yes. How am I going to help your baby breastfeed if you don't bring the baby? And I hope nobody feels like we're laughing at them. No, no, we're not. What what two lactation consultants talk about, like the silly things. But our name is dumb. Yeah. I'm not a consultant. That is so bizarre. And I'm not doing just lactation. Right. Right. Like there's just, we have some, the English language has failed us is what I've decided. Cause I'm just going, everyone knows what a doctor is. Everyone knows what a therapist is. You know, I mean, we should be like breastfeeding therapists. I think that's nicer. I think so part of it has to do with the international aspect of IBLCE, our governing body. And we all know, we can get that. That's another episode. We could talk about all the problems of what that entails for us. I don't think it does service to any country to have a gen- generalized rules of what it's like in the whole world. There's no other profession where that is, right? I mean, if you're a doctor in one country and you move to another country, you have to become a doctor under those countries' rules. It shouldn't be, well, well whatever. I digress. <laughs> It's still yeah, relevant. I think, I, think yeah, we, I think what we're saying is that yeah. really these problems are problems that are initiated outside of you as the breastfeeding mom. And yes. we understand why it is so difficult to 
do certain things when it comes to breastfeeding and and parenting and motherhood in general, because Mm -hmm. there are these issues and, you know, it's really hard too when, you know, I I understand too, like back to the, the tongue tie thing. I understand for these dentists or ENTs or, you know, whatever doctor is going to be doing that procedure to release the ties. I understand the predicament that they're in when a family comes to them and says, my baby has a tongue tie, I want you to release it. And they they know you haven't seen the IBCLC. They know you haven't done the things you need to be doing, but this baby's here in front of you and you can see the tie and they're suffering mm-hmm. and you're going, maybe what I do today can help. Right. 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 And you can't force them to go see those people. Right. But if you don't do this procedure, are you doing more harm by not doing it? I understand the predicament they're in because a lot of people get angry. Right. And I understand the anger too. And it's not misplaced. There are absolutely providers that would just love to take your money and do the procedure and they don't care. Mm -hmm. Sadly, they exist. Right. But that's not all of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the majority either. Um, But you can't get angry at them when, you know, they're trying to do this dance of like, do I treat? Do I not treat? Right. right. If, they, if I don't treat, they're going to go to my colleague down the street who I know won't do as good of a job as me or will mm. pay more for that or who mm. knows, right? Or so it'll just like, take more time. So I think yes. that um, part of that whole thing, you know, if, if from a parent's perspective or from if you're a lactation consultant considering networking with a provider who does phrenotomy, I would say that they should look for, is there anyone that's come to their office and who has not had the procedure because they've said it's not the right time? So they shouldn't be turning away everyone, but they also shouldn't be doing every procedure that comes through the door. So, you know, the person that I network with the most We'll do those. Yes, they traveled three hours. They're here. They had another baby. They know what tongue tie is. They know how to breastfeed. And they're telling me they're going to go see the lactation consultant tomorrow. But he also, if he's iffy on the frenum, because he's not assessing function, really, he's just assessing what's going on, what's physically there. He will say, I don't think it's a good idea to do this until you have so such and such or, or you know based on their symptoms not it's not a good idea just because you see a frenum you know so you if those are the people that you're looking at like i think that in some of the mommy groups they actually ask that has anyone gone to so and so and and they told you it wasn't good because wasn't good to be done. And I think that's an important, you know, unofficial stat, you know, that we can look at to judge who we want to network with, you know. I agree. I think that is very important. And I think that, you know, it is the job of that provider to determine whether or not the timing of that treatment is correct. Mm-hmm. It, that is their responsibility. Yes. Um, and and like you, the ones that I've networked with and worked closely with, you know, they're like, okay, here's the deal. I'll do this today, but you need to call Jacqueline right now and book an appointment with her for tomorrow because this is not going to go well if I just do this and if you wait too long Mm -hmm. and what have you. And then parents are making an informed decision. Exactly. Right. Because then they're like, well, I'm not going to treat. I mean, there's, there's absolutely times I've referred people to, you know, providers and they've said, you know what? No, I want them to, you know, implement 
you know, your plan first and, you know, wait a week and let's see. And I know the families are frustrated, but they are kind of looking for that quick fix, you know? And yeah. I'm like, Whoa, I didn't even tell you to call them yet. Hang on. Whoa. Oh, I get that too. Yeah. Or I'll get the call afterwards. Like I'll give them the whole plan of care and I'll say, get back to me in a week. And they'll call me and go, Oh, by the way, we got, we're getting the, we made an appointment for tomorrow. And I'm like, no, you're not yes. ready. <laughs> you're not ready. You have to do this, this, and that. No, well, my husband's off tomorrow. We're going to go. I'm like, oh. I, yeah. Anyway, I know. it's anyway. tough. And it's you tough can too, only I think with, and, and going back to work is, is tough, right? I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of yeah. families they're not finding out right after the birth and they're finding out, you know, in those early days of breastfeeding, let's say they have the 12 weeks off if they're, you know, a little more blessed than a lot of people. And, you know, then they're like, well, you know, I'm going back to work next week and I have to do this aftercare and, and this yeah. and that, like, I don't know if I can have, you know, somebody available to do this. Like that timing is important too. There's so many yeah. considerations and there's yeah. no one better to walk you through it than a really good IBCLC. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I even have on my checklist before the day of phrenotomy, you should have a meal planned for the night that night. Uh, yeah. Because so many people are traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Around here, most people are traveling at least an hour to get the procedure done. So you're going to come home, baby's uncomfortable, you're stressed, everybody's hungry. (laughs) So have that meal ready. I always think of the food, right? Maybe it's the mama. But that's on my list. Have a meal ready. Have that planned. Have the analgesia ready. You know, talk to the doctor ahead of time and see what they're going to recommend for pain relief. And buy that ahead of time because you don't want to be at CVS looking for something when your baby's crying in the car. Right. I mean, you don't, I tell people, I'm like, don't, yep. I do the same. I'm like, I wouldn't make any big plans for Mm -hmm. tonight or next day. If you have some extra support, like most of you, yeah, I got my mom to come over for tonight or what have you, but I've had clients. They're like, Oh, well, uh, we were going to go over to a friend's house for dinner. I'm like, that's probably not the night. Yeah. you know, right. I well, just... tomorrow's the baby's baptism. Like, no, don't do it this week, you know? Or I've um, had too, like parents who are like, well, yeah, we have the circumcision scheduled the next day. And I right, go, right. Mm, I just don't know about like lot. two surgeries back to back. Like yeah, just yeah. what's more important to you? Because we want to not put your baby in an excessive amount of pain. So mm-hmm. and then, you know, sometimes there's kind of a, you know, well, the pediatrician won't do it past this day. Okay, I mean, if you feel like you can manage things, you know, and and then you get the ties treated later. But I just, mm, I don't know if I would do it. Yeah. Definitely not the same day, but even a day apart. I'm going. That's a lot, yeah. you know. That's a lot on that poor baby's nervous system. You know, oh, even goodness. if even if they're not in a lot of pain, which I believe that they feel pain. But even if they're not, they there's do. still that, you know, autonomic response or you know the the whole vagus oh, yeah. nerve and. and it's scary, uh, I think, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've anyway. assisted with phrenectomy procedures and, mm-hmm. you know, my job is to basically keep your baby immobile <laughs> while the mm-hmm. dentist does her job. And mm-hmm. it's quick. The laser, it's quick, you know, yeah. and, and it, you know, it just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've had it done myself. I could say, I think it feels, depending on the area of the body and your own personal sensory perception of things, it feels similar to getting a tattoo, 
I would mm-hmm. say, or rubber bands snapping very quickly. If you've ever had laser hair removal, it's a lot like that. So, you know, that's not a comfortable thing. Is it only 30 seconds or even less depending on the, the site? Yeah, it's quick. But mm-hmm. you know what your baby really doesn't like is they there's only so much a baby can understand and be communicated ahead of time, right? They don't understand swaddling, laser glasses, where's mom and dad? Who are these right. people? Bright light over me. This is happening. There's a sound. I smell something burning. Ouch. My mouth hurts. Like that is a scary thing. And can they come away from that and, you know, just recover just great? Absolutely. And they do most of 99.9% of the time. Some babies take a little longer, but yeah, we have to consider like, you know, not just the physical pain, but that was scary. That was really Mm -hmm. scary for your baby. So let's, Mm -hmm. I usually tell families to like, when you get home, like, just, you know, as the sun sets, like turn your lights down low. If you have dimmers or what have you, you know, use more lamps, maybe just, you know, keep the, keep the TV to a minimum or it's not the mm-hmm. night to watch an action movie. You know, right, if you right. want to watch Lots something, skin to show, skin, skin maybe a bath. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Bath time, yeah. snuggles, you know, get, get things nice and calm at home. So your baby can calm down from that. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, I, this is like an analogy I give people. It's like, you're driving along, you're in traffic. And someone cuts you off. It's a near miss. Your heart started racing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some of us recover from that faster than others. But there's at mm-hmm. least a few moments after that where you're like, you got to come down from that. Right. Yep. All humans are the same. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, but I think that we better stop soon because we should. I know we could go all day. So we could talk for eight hours probably, right? It's been great having this conversation. Yes. Oh gosh. I know. You're such you're such a wonderful um, not just lactation consultant, like you said, you're you're an RN, a midwife, just so many wonderful things. And I love what you're doing, um, you know, training other professionals out there and your podcast and everything. So I'm excited that we got to reconnect and have this conversation and share it with everyone. Me too. Thank you so much, Jackie, for agreeing to do this. And I can't wait to put it out there. Same. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.